Hello, friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Bad Flips and Maple Dips. It's Patrick here in Halifax, Nova Scotia on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I wish there was afternoon baseball. There isn't. It's tonight. We've got the Bow Sox in Fenway. Uh, way, way, way out west in the prairies, we've got Justin Anderson, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Yeah, no, just uh, I'm getting amped up for game four of the Raptor series tonight. Got that huge game three win for courtesy of our boy OG Ananobi. So looking forward to seeing if the Raptors can level that one uh, and really push towards uh, making a comeback in the series. It's a juicy opportunity for them because on one hand, you know, tying up the the series will really swing the momentum in our direction. It's a it's a relatively young uh, Celtics team. I like the idea of pressing them tonight and just kind of seeing what they're made of. Uh, but it's also juicy because the Bucks are down three nothing yeah. for for whatever reason they're just absolutely imploding. And I like I really like the idea of getting into the conference finals and not having to play. Uh, any of the other big four in yeah. in the conference, I feel like the road would be all but paved to get back to the finals. Um, the but have been there, done that. So exactly, uh, we can't overlook the Celtics this. though. It's going to be a rough se- uh, series, and I'm totally with you. But tonight, I will be watching Red Sox and Jays as usual. Uh, and speaking of as usual, feel free to send us a, a message, a tweet, a text, a Yelp. A review whatever <laughs> it may be you can find now? us <laughs> we can find us on all major uh media we are on twitter at bfmd podcast you can search the exact same thing on anchor itunes spotify google podcasts tune in and stitcher just look up bat flips and maple dips you'll find us nobody else has that name we've uh we've squirreled away that one and uh we're still looking to get on next sopia not sure when that's going to happen. I heard that we are seeing some bootleg copies of us on Kazaa. <laughs> and uh, what was the old one with the lime? Or the lemon? Was that like LimeWire? It was like a torrent. LimeWire. LimeWire, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. I heard we're bootlegging on LimeWire now. It's probably <laughs> That's probably aging me a little bit. That's an old one. i show in Kathmandu. uh yeah so thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode once again feel free if you've got questions send us a tweet uh we've got slide in those dms slide into those dms i know we got a couple of really nice messages this week that i saw a couple things that made me laugh um just about stuff going on with the jays uh it was just kind of cool it's i like how we're we've got a reputation now and you know I'd like for more people to uh, to check us out. So uh, without sounding too desperate, please check us out some more. Send this to a friend. <laughs> send it to two friends, and then they'll send it to two friends, and then they'll send it to two friends, If you et don't cetera. send it to two friends, you'll experience bad luck. <laughs> yeah. The old, remember the old chain emails you used to get yeah. where it was like, if you don't okay. send this to someone, you're that means you're going to go to hell. And it's like, okay. All right. I'll see you there. See you there. <laughs> see you there. We'll have popcorn. Um, so what's up with you, Justin? You, you got anything you want to talk about uh, as far as 
uh, what's gone on the last week or so, whenever it was the last time we talked. No, man, I've, I've just been boring, you know, just grinding away at work. I actually ended up taking uh, yesterday, Friday off for a, nice. a four-day-long weekend. I just needed a little bit of a recharge with all this all this holiday time just burning a hole in my pocket, not being able to go anywhere. It's just uh, I feel like I should take a day here or there just to kind of get some recharge in. I slept in. I slept for like 12 hours like nice. last night. That's, um, that's how you do it, yeah. bud. That's how you do it. You recharge batteries for the first time in like three weeks. And apparently I was tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like it. Um, I, I had Friday off and then I took off an additional day on Tuesday. So I'm in the middle. I'm on day two of a five day recharge. Yeah, no, I've been, uh, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm totally addicted to taking using vacation days on Fridays (laughs) <laughs> and uh i also i work a modified schedule so i i'm off every second friday anyway uh makes for long days but you know it's worth it uh to have every second friday off by default but i was just i don't know because i had to cancel my trip to toronto uh back in yeah. july i had all this extra time so i'm just trying to burn through uh some vacation days here I and there somewhere yeah, you got to do it, right? Um, the one thing I would say that I wanted to talk about was baseball once again lost another one of its legends this week. Tom Seaver yeah. passed away. I think he was 76 years old. 75, 76. Yeah, 75, 76, something like that. Uh, one of the best pitchers of all time. Definitely the best Met player of all time. Oh, no disrespect to Bobby Bonilla, but Tom <laughs> Seaver was Mr. Met for sure. Um isn't that the name of their mascot? It sure Mr. is. Mr. Met? They should change Tom that name. Terrific, the franchise. That was always his nickname, too. Yeah, he was definitely the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, he was way before both of our times, but you do kind of see a little bit of his legacy and in players you know, that uh, arrived on the scene in the future. You could see his impact, but uh, yeah. sad, sad to see, uh, see him pass away. Um, I mean, he pitched 176 innings in his age 41 season. So yeah, that's just insane to me. Like to <laughs> me, like he just shows just how inhumanly good he was at baseball. Yeah. Um, because he was so far uh, before our time, I don't have any memories in particular about Tom Seaver, except to say that a lot of guys uh, over the years have have talked about how he was the goat and how he how influential he was uh, on careers and things like that uh looking at the 2020 blue jays do you think there's anybody on this pitching staff that'll have the same impact that tom siever had on future generations doubtful i mean i don't know it's, it's tough for it's tough for us now to say like oh yeah this guy's like a a generational guy who's gonna be remembered i think the like the only last pitcher that the blue jays have had who's gonna be like that is obviously doc um yeah but i don't think anybody on our current roster is tom Seaver like i mean say hunjin ryu had pitched his whole career in the bigs not started in korea then maybe he'd be that guy who could be looked at as a future hall of famer uh based on how he's pitching but the fact that he hasn't pitched his whole career over here just makes it uh, a little bit tough to, to speculate on that that was pretty much the same thing i was going to say although i was going to say Ryu is probably more likely to have a more fondly remembered remembered career, although like the jury's obviously out on Nate, Nate Pearson and a bunch of our younger guys yeah. 
who uh, we I mean we still haven't seen guys like Adam Klofenstein, Alec Manoa. They're waiting in the yeah, wings to have their opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but that being said, it's kind of amazing to see uh, if you look at uh, Hanjin Ryu and his impact in Korea in particular. Definitely. The guy is like Brad Pitt Sorry. and Angelina Jolie levels of popular uh, <laughs> yeah. in Korea. It's so much so that uh, they love Cor- baseball, man. They, they love not only players. do they love baseball, but they have more or less adopted the Toronto Blue Jays as their team with you know their best player Ryu, uh, mm-hmm. you know obviously p- playing in Toronto. That the cultural impact that Ryu has had. Uh, in Toronto is starting to be felt now, especially in the in Asian communities, and I think it's only going to get bigger and better. And I'm really excited for Ryu to continue to pitch for us for, you know, another two years after this, and maybe even longer. He's not that yeah. old, right? He's only he like what thir- 33, something like that. Something like that. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not much else as far as uh, anything worth talking about in uh, in my life either. I think it was mostly. I got the uh, NES Classic. I had that nice. show up in, in the mail. Uh, I haven't plugged it in yet because I wanted to get ready for this podcast, and I knew if I plugged that fucker in, then there was no chance. <laughs> There's no was, going back. Yeah, there was no way I was going to get prepared for this yeah, episode. Dave did Mountain Dew and Cheetos dust for three days straight. Uh, di- that's Diet Coke okay. and uh, donuts. I bought two donuts oh. this, uh, this afternoon oh. after picking up my parcel. Uh, I was out for like a two-hour-long walk, picked up two sprinkled oh, donuts. donuts yeah, they were the donuts, though, that are made by the grocery store, so they're a little more substantial than Timmy's. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I, I won't have Timmy's anymore. I'm, I've been I've been uh, accustomed to a higher straight or a higher standard of donuts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, so let's just dive right into it. First piece of news worth talking about, Justin. Uh, you know, the end of an era in Toronto. Blue Jays legend. Yeah, Blue Jays legend, first baseman Daniel Vogelbach was designated for assignment. And eventually he was claimed and signed by the Milwaukee Brewers. And in a corresponding move, <laughs> we saw former first base or former J first baseman Justin Smoke getting designated for assignment. Uh, it made me really sad to see that. Justin, what was your impression of this move? Yeah. And like a week after um, Smokey just celebrated his 10th, 10th year of service time in the big leagues, so he officially gets his pension now. So at least he made it that far, I guess, because I know his wife, uh, Kristen Smoke, had posted on Twitter that he had just surpassed 10 years of service time, and that's when big leaders qualify for the pension. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, that's good. Uh, he's having a better season than Daniel Vogelbach was, <laughs> so I'm kind of surprised at the move, but... Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Smokey's been on a downward spiral the last couple of years in terms of his numbers. Uh, the shift really screwed up his career because he's just a dead pole hitter. He has not figured out how to hit it to left field ever. Um, or when he's a switch hitter, he's better from the left side, obviously. But uh, I don't know. It sucks to see him get DFA'd, but I think I think everybody kind of saw it coming as, as his career in Toronto was winding up. He just wasn't the same player he was a couple of years prior. It's it's worth saying though. Kudos to the to the brew crew, the uh, their management. Obviously, they would have been aware of the fact that he was approaching the ten years right. for service time, and they definitely kept him up 
so he would reach that. And then at the first opportunity, when they found someone they thought had more upside or more long-term upside, uh, that's when the DFA came in. Sure. I just think it's a little move like that that I think it says a lot about the organization's uh, credibility, I think is the word I'm looking for. Um, I mean, I like the, I like the Brewers, and I, th- I think they're – you know they're not having a great year, but they're not having a terrible year either, and they're not entirely out of it just yet. Uh, but we'll we'll see what happens with them. But um, the standings, uh, in particular, we're starting to see some teams fall out of the race. Um, let's just go through it right quick. Uh, the Blue Jays had a pretty decent week uh, in their last five games, or three and two. Obviously, they lost the nail biter against uh, the Red Sox in Game Two of the doubleheader, three uh, two. It was a tight game. I think we could have won that one, but then again, I say that about every game nowadays. <laughs> uh, we pulled off uh, three a three-game winning streak before that. We took game one uh, of the doubleheader, and then before that, we clobbered the Red Sox 6-2, and then we beat the Marlins in uh, the second game of that. Uh, that game that, we should have lost. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, I guess it kind of evens out. Uh, so right now the Jays sit at 21 and 17, which is good for technically it's sixth in the American League because of the way the playoffs work. Because we're second right. in the division, uh, we would receive the sixth seed, I believe. Uh, although right now we're sitting in seventh place. Uh, yeah, uh, we're tied with the Yankees. Although I think we get the edge uh, on them because of. Uh, luck. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know exactly how it works, but I mean, once we, we start playing the differential, I think it goes by uh, defensive runs against, and we have uh, a few less than them. Yeah, exactly, because we have the same. Yeah, we're, we same we're, record, same run differential. I believe it goes by defensive runs uh, allowed. Yep. So some juicy opportunities coming up here for us to really uh, put some distance between us and the Yankees. We've got. Uh, Two more, no, three more game. No, is it? No, it's two more. Two more against Boston. Today. Two more against Boston. Sorry. And then we've got a three-game stand against the Yankees uh, in Buffalo at Salem Field. Yeah. And then we've got three against the Mets, and then we're back at it. Although that time, uh, that three-game uh, little trip there is going to be two. Uh, I guess our interstate rivals in uh, New York. We're going to be heading to Yankee, New Yankee Stadium. Um, do you have any thoughts on where the Jays sit in the standings right now? Are you surprised that we're 21 and 17? Are you surprised we are currently, I, I guess you could say, the sixth seed uh, in in the American League for the eight-team playoff? Well, if you had told me two months ago when the season was just getting close to happening again that we would have lost Matt Shoemaker, Nate Pearson, and Bo Bichette for the majority of the season, and that we were four games above 500 and tied with the Yankees at, on September 5th, I would have put money against it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm shocked that we're that our record is this way, but just based on the fact that something that we didn't think was going to be a strength, which is our bullpen, because we are just accustomed to life being pain when we soon we see our starting pitchers leave the game, um, that's really been a saving grace in our year. Honestly, having Ryu stabilize the rotation, having guys like Chase Anderson look incredibly decent uh, compared to guys like Roark, who we've talked about just can't stop getting out home runs. 
But I think the fact that we're here, we, we all said uh, before the start of the season that if we were five games above 500 going into these Yankees games, that we'd have a chance to um, make the playoffs. And right now we're sitting at four games above 500. So worst case scenario, we lose two games against Boston. We're sitting at two games above uh, going into our final stretch of games um, with a decent shot of, of walking down that eighth spot. So, I, I mean... I think the Jays are right where right where they need to be. I mean, we've got the same amount of wins as the Astros. So there's still a chance at us finishing second in our division. I don't think we're catching Tampa Bay, but we could still get that second spot. Yeah, I think right now as it stands, we are five and a half back of the Tampa Bay Rays for that division Correct. lead. Which is not insurmountable, but I don't think it's what we should be focusing yeah, with, on. I think uh, with less than or with what, twenty two games left, it's it feels pretty insurmountable. Yeah, I, I mean, it really depends on how things go against the Yankees, but I think we can say, like, out of the 10 games we're going to play the Yankees, they're all going to be very tight. Uh, okay. Even without their big boppers, uh, the next three games that we... Yankees. Yeah, they're still the Yankees. They still have the juice to pull off, uh, pull off a, a sweep on us. Regardless of what the games look like, though, uh, today and tomorrow, uh, them being Saturday... Uh, the 5th and Sunday, the 6th, we will still be in a playoff spot by the end of the weekend, regardless of what the Tigers and what the Orioles do, because we have a three-game lead on them, which feels really good to say. The Tigers have lost their last three games, so they're starting to plummet back to earth. Uh, The Orioles are 3-7 and in their last 10, uh, and while the Seattle Mariners are 7-3 and in their last 10 games, uh, they're still five games back of us. Uh, in that uh, that little battle uh, to uh, to see who yeah. gets that eighth spot, so it's hard. I don't know, man. Like I'm excited. I definitely did not think our record would be this good at this point in the season. I did not expect for us to compete for a playoff spot, even in the expanded playoff uh, setting. Uh, not just because I just had no faith in this team, um, but just I looked at our rotation and just didn't see where we'd get the quality starts. And and even though we haven't gotten the, of the quality starts, um, statistically speaking, um, them being six innings pitched or more, uh, the bullpen has been so magnificent that they are the difference between us being, uh, you know, where we are right now and, you know, being in a similar position to Seattle where they're so far back, they have to, you know, go on an absolute tear and it still does very little. Um, but it looks like as the season kind of goes by, the Orioles are starting to fall off. The Angels are out of it. The Royals are definitely out of it. And if they're definitely out of it, the Rangers and the Red Sox are definitely out of it. Uh, you can't really make the playoffs with a run differential of minus 65 or 66. Um, it's kind of interesting, though. Um, if you look at the standings right now, Justin, the Jays, uh, are plus 18 in run differential, and so are the Yankees. And uh, in between them and the Tigers, you know, the Tigers are negative 16 in run differential. So we're really seeing those saber me- how sabermetrics can kind of demonstrate how bad teams who have bad run differentials will not see the playoffs. I mean, I guess it goes without saying, but you could still have a negative run differential and make the playoffs. I think we've seen that quite a few times the in recent have done years. A lot in recent years, yeah. 
Exactly. But now we're kind of really seeing it. And even uh, the if you look at the expanded standings, the teams with the highest run differentials, uh, with very few exceptions, are the ones that are near the top of the standings. Uh, that being said, do you have any predictions for what's going to happen in the next, uh, we'll say, five games? So we'll go with the last two games of the Bo Sox series. And, no, because uh, I don't want to be wrong. I'm not going <laughs> to I'll, I'll say this. I think that it's very uh, possible for us to take these last two games against the Red Sox uh, and then take that momentum into the Yankees and uh, at least, you know, it be a hard-fought series. I'd be down for us to go three and two in our next five games. I think that would be like our baseline of expectation. Anything better than that, and I think we'd be rolling. Um, yeah. Before we move on, though, uh, something that I was uh, I noticed when I was digging through the stats, uh, Justin, was that uh, it's worth noting the last time the Jays lost a game by more than two runs was way back on August 12th. Do you remember that game against the Marlins for the 14-11 sure shootout? I watched the whole game. <laughs> the one I, I must have turned that game on and off at least six times uh, throughout the uh, the course of the game. But since then, the Jays have gone 15-8, and eight, and all eight of those losses were one or two run squeakers. So we very easily could have a better record than what we have even now, uh, which is wild. I was thinking about this too. Does it feel like this is the most competitive Jays team since 2016? Maybe even oh, okay. counting 2016. <laughs> Do you think this uh, is the best team since 2015? I, no, I think the 2016 team was still better uh, overall. I, I This team is the best team we've had in the last like three, or I guess four seasons, kind of 2017, 18, and 19. Um yeah, no, I, I this is the, this is the best team since 2016. Not it was not better than that team though. No chance. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so in the last week, we've seen the rise of some of our uh, our uh, our middle lineup guys start to hit really strong. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel, in particular, uh, who kept getting bumped down in the lineup because of poor performance. Uh, he's actually hitting 375 in his last seven games, uh, including an OBP of 464. So he's getting those looks. He's drawn the walks. Yeah. He's got two home runs, four RBIs, um, four strikeouts, which is the same number of walks he has, uh, and a stolen base. Um, I, I, have you noticed a difference in Gurriel, or is this just him regressing back to the mean? Regressing to the mean, my friend. I'm a, you know, I'm a huge stats guy. Uh, and yeah, he was playing or hitting quite poorly at the start of the year. So yeah, we're just seeing him regress back to the mean, but Gurriel's capable of getting hot for these stretches. The fact that he's taking his walks means that, yeah, he's definitely seeing the ball incredibly well right now. And you love to see that as a fan of the Blue Jays because uh, when Lourdes Gurriel gets hot, that's a good sign the team's going to be doing well because it does, like, like we've been talking about, lengthen our lineup so much. Um, and then we've got Joe Panic too, MVP Joe Panic this week. <laughs> 391 average like the guy uh we, we talked about how he outlasted brandon jury well he's doing more than outlasting him lately he's actually been contributing which is nice to see another guy who's got five walks against five strikeouts right so you can see the boys are, are taking their walks they're not just swinging away um, but it's good to see a guy like panic uh, he came up with a clutch base hit yesterday in the doubleheader uh to drive in a couple it's driving around 
when we were, yep. we were down uh, in game two. But no, I like to see uh, I like to see these guys down in the lineup contributing. So it's it's definitely a, a plus for us. Another thing that we've seen too is uh, young man Rowdy Telez, seven he, for seventeen in his last uh, seven yeah. games played, uh, two walks to two strikeouts. So again, consistency. I love it. He's hitting 412 in his last seven games. OBP of 476. He's got one taco and three RBIs in that time. Um, do you think that we're, even though like we'll say that it is them regressing to the mean, uh, do you think that this bodes well for our series, our future series against the Yankees, knowing that we're getting are that depth hitting happening, uh, catchers notwithstanding? Yeah. So I, I like I like especially that. Uh that Rowdy is playing well because of, again, his left-handed bat going into Yankee Stadium and being a fly ball hitter. It bodes well for us to have that, that lefty power uh, lineup happening because we're going to be facing some tough right-handers. Uh, we'll face Derek Cole at least once against the Yankees. So the fact that Rowdy can hit a pop-up for a home run in Yankee Stadium is going to be a, a benefit to us all. Yeah, and I mean, don't look now, boys and girls, but Joe Panic is currently hitting 242 for the season. Uh, yes, it's only 66 at-bats. We're not here to, you know, mince words about small sample sizes or anything like that, but uh, Panic was battling the Mendoza line, and now all of a sudden, you know, we see him not only above the Mendoza line, but actually thriving in his place in the lineup, getting on base, for when the lineup turns around for guys like Kevon Biggio, uh, who currently uh, isn't having a great stretch, but he's also not having a bad stretch either. So uh, now with all this being said, Justin, a question I have for you is uh, what do, what is it that we need to see the most in the next five games in order for us to be successful? Is it the return of Bo Bichette? Is it the depth hitting or is it going to be the strong quality starts that make the difference? It's going to be the starting pitching. 100%. Um, if, if we can't get our pitchers to limit the offensive teams we're playing, that the Red Sox are still a good offensive team. It's just their pitching is so atrocious. The Yankees hit really well, obviously, because they're the Yankees. So if we're going to be successful against these guys, we need our starters to give us at least five innings, preferably six or seven, and limiting the Yankees and the Red Sox to hopefully under four runs in that time. Yeah, I think this team, I mean, the team has performed very well without Bo Bichette in the lineup. And even though the depth hitting has been the difference in a, a few of the games that we played recently, we definitely need our starters to hit that six-inning mark and to be able to get past the six-inning mark wherever possible because we can't continue to lean on our bullpen and expect them to overperform all the time. Because like we said... Eventually, these guys have to regress to the mean, right? There's no way that these guys can just continue yeah. to be lights out. Something's got to give at some point. So we'll ride it while we can, but <laughs> you know, remain cautiously optimistic. Uh, all this being said, uh, it's worth also talking about some of our top pitchers in the last uh, seven games or so. Uh, the guy that I wanted to highlight today was Taiwan Walker. Uh, he's started twice for us since uh, acquisition. 1.54 ERA, uh, 11.2 innings pitched. He has uh, eight Ks, four walks. He's only given up two earned runs, and he's 1-0. and Of course, wins don't really matter to us uh, on an individual performance uh, basis, but 
What do you think of Taiwan Walker since him uh, he arrived here in uh, in Toronto? Yeah, he's he's a fiery competitor. I love the I love fact it. that he's just come in and just he looks angry when he's not pitching well. Um, <laughs> he's been giving up his hits, of course, but I mean he's been he does a great job of limiting runs uh, when the runners are on base. He doesn't give up a ton of steals. He's pretty quick to the plate, and the fact that he's not afraid to challenge hitters like I love a pitcher who just goes after people um Dan and Buck were talking about how he's always been a, a guy who just throws a ton of strikes because he his mentality is that um you gotta hit the ball right the the, pitch, the, pit, the hitters have to beat him if he's gonna go after them he might as well go right after him none of this nibbling around the edges kind of thing that we see from a lot of pitchers he's just gonna go after him you're gonna beat me with my best stuff or I'm gonna beat you kind of kind of mentality and I love that yeah, he was definitely to me like Walker right now is our number two. Uh, I oh, see him easily. as yeah. I see him as our second best pitcher, and you know I know there's been a lot of a uh, lot of chatter about him re-signing with uh, the Mariners at the end of the season. He fell in love with the city, et cetera, et cetera. But I really want us to pursue this guy uh, and keep him around because I think he fits Agreed. in with the with uh the culture of the club and i think that because he's such a fiery competitor he's just he's exactly what we've been looking for um that being said i think we need to give a little bit of credit to a couple of our relievers uh since getting called up sean reed foley uh he's only played three games for us uh so far this season but he's 4.2 innings pitched have been damn near perfect he's got six k's up against only two walks I think Sean Reed Foley is going to factor in big time to this team uh, in this final stretch of games, this final third of games. Um, do you think Sean Reed Foley pencils into the bullpen long term, or is he going to be riding the bus back and forth between Buffalo and Rochester for the rest of the year? What do you think? I think you will see him up and down a couple times, especially when Bo Bichette comes back. He may be a guy who's on the short list or the short bus, if you will, to back to Rochester. Um, I do, I have been impressed. You know, I've been a fan of, of SRF, my boy, one of my guys that I love, like Anthony Alford. Yeah. Just want to see successful. And the fact that he's being able to contribute in a positive way to the bullpen uh, makes me really happy. Um, yeah, I, I think, I don't know if long-term, I think the team and himself still wants to be a starting pitcher. But based on the success that we're seeing with guys like Hatch and Baraki, who is likely going to be a, a reliever long-term now, maybe it is smart for Sean Reed Foley to consider a career as maybe a late-inning to set-up man to closer kind of kind of mentality. He does throw hard enough to be a back-end, high-leverage guy. Yeah, I start to wonder. These guys are young, and they probably are thirsty to have a great long career with lots of success, but... If I had to choose between winning a World Series or like as a reliever or, you know, being an okay starter that sometimes gets into the playoffs but never really gets anywhere, I would take the World Series ring every time. I'm not saying this team is a World Series caliber team, but at some point you start thinking about, uh, you know, can I make it in like how long can I stick around in the in the show and being a reliever. And being a good, effective reliever, uh, you know, is it possible for me to stick around longer? And I see Sean Reed Foley as the kind of guy who, he's the perfect example of someone who can transition into either role. But right now, uh, you know, 
in small doses, he's been super effective. And I just think that, you know, he and guys like Barucki and Hatch should capitalize on that while they can. And then maybe eventually leverage it into uh, maybe some starts here and there. Uh, another yeah. guy, too, worth talking about, A.J. Cole. He's really kind of been a stabilizing force for us in the pen. Uh, his last seven games, uh, 6.2 innings pitch, just a 1.35 ERA. Uh, he does concede walks from time to time, uh, but he's not really a guy to give up hits either. So what do you see out of Cole uh, that you like? Sure. Well, obviously, he was a non-roster invitee to spring training in Florida. Um, so he had his work cut out for him to even get a spot on the 40-man roster, let alone on the active roster. Uh, but I, I've loved the fact that we've brought him into some compromising situations where we've had runners on base, and he's just been able to uh, get the weak contact out of the opposing batters to get out of jams. And like you said, yeah, he's thrown almost seven innings and, and seven appearances. So it's like he's just doing light work. Uh, he comes in and he, he throws hard as he limits. He does limit the contact, which I, I looked into. So that's the mark of a successful relief pitcher is being able to get weak contact that because that leads to outs. So I've been really impressed with him. It's We've got the hottest pen in MLB. I'm telling you, man, right now, I would not want to play the Jays, especially in late innings. Uh, one last thing before we uh, switch gears. Last week, or I guess it was earlier this week, we had talked about who our MVP was, and we both said Kavan Biggio. Um, but so far, you could also argue that we've seen meaningful output by our ace, as well as the bullpen as a whole. So if you had to assign any particular player, or if there was a particular role uh, you thought was the MVP of the J season so far, is it a hitter or is it a pitcher? Uh, and if you have an MVP, and if it's changed from Kavan, who is it? I'm still giving it to Kevin Biggio for sure, but at the same time, I think the entire bullpen could be given a, an MVP award for us just because of the fact that we have put them into some shitty situations and they have been able to uh, keep us in games. And also the fact that a lot of them have been uh, those 8 nothing game we talked about earlier, we lost 14-11, to 11, but the bullpen allowed us to get back into that ballgame, so... Um, I, I'm, I'm really impressed with those guys. I still think Kevin Biggio is the MVP, and I don't think there's anybody else that's close to touching him for that right now. Um, but yeah, I, I am really pleased with the bullpen as a, as a cohesive unit. Man, if I could give the MVP to anybody, it'd probably be Dante Bichette. The impact that he's <laughs> clearly had on the team has been outstanding. I mean, uh, you look at everybody's numbers in the week and a half or whatever it was, he wasn't in the dugout compared to what it has been the last week. And the team is hitting way better with him in the dugout. And, you know, credit where credit is due also to the hitting coach, Guillermo Martinez. Um, I hope I got his name right there. Um, yep. Bichette, Bichette is obviously contributing something very positive yeah. to this team. He's a member of the of the coaching staff. Uh, he's, you know, he's not going to be in the dugout every game, uh, but he's out there every day. He's working with his son. He's working with all of his friends. He's working with his teammates. Um, I, I think he deserves a lot more credit. Uh, and maybe, you know, later on in the year when all everything is said and done, we might get a little bit more out of that. Um, but same thing with the hitting coach. Full credit to Martinez for the turnaround that we've seen. If I had to pick an MVP, though, like a player, it'd have to be Teoscar Hernandez. 
leading the league right now, or tied for the lead league. I think there's five guys who have 13 home runs. Um, He's a totally different player. He's got the patience. He's drawing walks. He's waiting for his, you know, his pitch. He's got 13 bombs. He'd be on pace for something like 40 or 45 in a regular season. Uh, 162 games. I mean, obviously we can't we can't just say, oh, he would do that for sure in a 162 game <laughs> season. But it's a different player. I'm telling you, this guy, his plate vision has improved tremendously. He's got the patience. He's he's clearly he's got the muscle to put the ball out of just about oh, yeah, any right. ballpark. Uh, it's amazing. I'm really proud of him, and uh, I'm really glad that he is going to be on this team for a long time. I think he's hit what he's got an arbitration year coming up. Uh, so he's definitely earned himself a pay hike. Um, for sure he has. But yeah, Teoscar Hernandez for uh, for my MVP. All right. Let's get into some stats here about the pitching staff. You know how much we love stats here on BFMD. So we're going to dive into a few different things. So credit to Patrick. He pulled a bunch of great stats based on where the Jays kind of rank in the MLB as a whole uh, in terms of pitching stats. Um, some of the highlights, our team is the second best in the league when it comes to limiting home runs per nine innings. We're only giving up just over one home run per nine, which when you look at guys like Tanner Rowark, you wouldn't expect to see us be <laughs> doing that well because of the fact that he's just been, like you said, just tossing muffins all season. Um, Corresponding with that, obviously, the home runs per fly ball is also second best, as you can probably imagine. Those numbers usually line up. Um, also, they're uh, doing really well in, in total team pitching war at 5.9. So our pitching staff has been the second most valuable when it comes to added wins in the league. So the fact that our pitching staff has been this good is really contributing to our, our team performance. Like we've, we mentioned earlier, we've been in so many one-run games and you don't win one-run games without your pitching staff being as good as they have been. So I, I think a huge credit goes to those guys. Um, the only truly weak areas that we have are we are still a top-10 team in giving up walks, which we give up almost four per nine innings. And our team, BABIP, which for those of you who haven't listened before, is batting average on balls in play. is sitting at 290. Again, league average is typically around 300 for BABIP, so we're still beating that. But in the shortened season, we're definitely seeing uh, the pitchers outperform the hitters in terms of stats. So, um, yeah, I, I think the fact that we've been able to do so well here pitching-wise, like I just mentioned, is really a, a, a probably a, the biggest reason that we're sitting where we are at 21-17 and 17 right now. What are your thoughts on, on the pitching staff so far as a whole, Patrick? Well, I think you can sum it up in one sentence, which is to say, uh, this is what you get when you overhaul your entire pitching yeah. staff. There's very few pitchers currently on our staff who were on our staff last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we were easily a bottom five pitching staff last season. Pro- I would so argue worse than that. Um, but we're seeing our guys uh, go out there and get the job done. Uh, you know, top 10 in strikeouts. Like you were saying, we're not giving up home runs. We're uh, very much so compared to other teams, a fly ball team. And we're able to limit the uh, number of home runs that we gave up. Although 
let's pretend that uh, the two games yesterday aren't really indicative uh, of the season because they did give up quite a few home runs and it probably did tweak the numbers a little bit uh, out of our favor. We probably were the best up until yesterday, um, but uh, playing 14 innings of baseball will do that to you. <laughs> um, one thing that really impresses me is, like you were saying, it was the uh, the war share that the pitchers have as far as like why the team is as good as it is. Uh, 5.9 war is incredible. It's not close to first place. Uh, I think we're closer to third place than uh, we are to first place in terms of that goes. But I mean, kudos to the uh, to the Oakland Athletics and the Cleveland Indians. They're both teams uh, that have had tremendous seasons with pitching. Uh, yeah. And usually when we're close to the top uh, in the standings, if you play around with them, uh, they're the teams that we're competing against when it comes to these standings uh, for pitching performance. Um, the the number I want to talk about is the 3.93 walks per nine. It's probably why our ERA is as high as it is, and our ERA is still fourth best in baseball. Uh, it's right. probably a little bit higher because we have such a high walk rate, and the walk rate is actually higher than what it was last year Last year was 3.77 for the full season, and the only team worse than us was the Miami Marlins, <laughs> wow. uh, who were 3.83, which is wild to think of. But that's Ooh, what happens when you have a short season, is that all these numbers are wonky because there's just less to draw from. Uh, but that being said, walks are up, I think, in general in the league. That should come as no surprise since we are sort of trending towards the three true outcomes uh, of an at-bat, home run, strikeout, or walk. I stole that from you, Justin, uh, from way back <laughs> in the day, and the, the Professor Anderson. Um, <laughs> if, you had to, if, if you asked yourself the question, though, like, exactly who do the Jays have to thank for this performance? If you, if you could pin it on a couple of guys, what do you think? Um, well, obviously we have a certain Korean pitcher on our team named Hyunjin Ryu, who has been incredibly instrumental in all of our team's success this year. The fact that he rebounded after his first two starts, which were which were rocky by his standards, um, to be among the best pitchers in the league since that time, and even across like like all those different categories, like we're seeing his his FIP actually be lower than it was last season. Um, his strikeout numbers are up. His home runs are down. His ground ball percentage is up. So the fact that he has been able to perform as well, if not better than he did as a Los Angeles Dodger, is pretty incredible, considering that he's played a lot of games against some tough hitting competition so far, like the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, one of my favorite stats of his so far this season is the fact that he is generating two ground balls per fly ball. You know, I'm a big fan of ground ball pitchers because it is impossible to hit home runs on the ground. I still haven't found a way to do it. Neither has Vladdy, as we've seen by his stats. Um, so I just think the fact that he is that kind of guy who gets 50% of the balls in play on the ground, it's going to go a long way to ensure that he has a great season. Um and he's so calm up there. Like you, you rarely see any emotion. He just got this deadpan expression on his face the whole time. He's kind of the opposite of Taiwan Walker in that way, who is super fired up out there all the time, which I also love. But I'm really a fan of the deadpan pitcher, like the Doc Hallidays, 
like Clayton Kershaw is like just show like no emotion out there. It's like they're they're just pitching robots, and, I, and I'm all I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Although way back in the day, I used to love uh, you know energetic, uh, excitable guys. Like remember uh, Carlos Perez? His react well, he's, he might have been a bit before your time, but I mean his Pedro Martinez. Yeah, their reactions uh, out on the mound. Uh, even Mariano Rivera, even though he was an absolute fucking terminator sent from the future to destroy <laughs> batters um i love guys like that uh you see a lot of that even randy johnson too had had a little bit of that right. spark uh but then you had guys who were absolute fucking terminator machines like tom henke or tom glavin or uh tom Seaver. i mean all the toms all the, <laughs> all toms the to- just animals they just just absolute beasts who just like they were robots. They would be like, my job is completed. I will now walk off the mound and return to my docking station cold, <laughs> in the dugout. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Ryu is definitely a part of that. And uh, the one thing I will say, the one stat that sticks out to me the most uh, out, of, out of this is the fact that he does have 52.3% ground ball rate. It's yep. wild because the Jays themselves are a fly ball team. I think you know many teams uh, have that strategy right now. Uh, most of them are not successful with it. The Jays are pulling it off right now uh, in this season. But you know Ryu is like the calming, uh, deadpan, uh, you know immovable fortress uh, <laughs> that we have uh, at the start of our rotation, and then we've got our Spitfire, you know, absolute pitching machine. Uh, Taiwan Walker, the new acquisition, uh, following up. It's got to be hard for teams that have to play them back-to-back because they're two totally different pitchers with different personas and different weapons. And I just love it. I love that totally. diversity. Yeah, I'm right with you there. Um, second guy I wanted to focus on today is Thomas Hatch. So... I know that a couple of days ago, um, myself and Keegan Matheson, I beat you, Keegan, by the way, friend of the show, by two minutes, I had messaged you, Patrick, in our group chat saying, uh, we got Thomas Hatch for two months of David Phelps. And then two minutes later, uh, Keegan posted a tweet, something about uh, trading a shot of David Phelps for a whole bottle of uh, Thomas Hatch, which is a great tweet in itself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's been a steal. It might be one of the most lopsided trades in the short term of the Shapiro and Atkins era. Um, obviously, we've seen we haven't seen very much of this guy yet. We tough to jump to conclusions at this point, but just the fact that he's been able to jump basically from Double A to the major leagues in, in in a short amount of time. He had so much control issues with uh, with the Cubs organization that a lot of people were like, why the hell did we trade for this guy? And we have seen him walk four batters per nine innings. Yes, I know. But he's also stranded 91% of base runners. So the guys that are getting on base, they are not scoring against him. Um, he doesn't give up home runs. His BABIP is 128. So out of the balls that are in play, 12.8% of them have gone for base hits, which is absurd. So I think the fact that he has that great two-seam fastball has allowed him to outperform his ERA estimators. Like, his ERA is 145, but his oh XFIP is 5.01, right? And that's because of the walks. If that walk number was half of what it was, his FIP would be down in the low threes to high twos. So 
we're just seeing him outperform those estimators just because of the fact uh, that he's just been able to strand those walks when he does put them on. But yeah, I've been really, really impressed with him. You know, I, I've thought a lot about this, uh, the concept of an opener and whether I like it or not. Uh, I like it when it works and I hate it when it doesn't, <laughs> like most uh, most people out there. But Thomas Hatch is the kind of guy who I think could be an opener, you know, more than once in a week if you need, need him to be. And I think we could get two or three innings out of him each time. Yeah. And that's pretty significant and the fact that he's out there stranding almost 92 percent of the guys uh, who he gets on who he lets on base in the first place you're just if you know you know congratulations you got a base off of thomas hatch you're not getting any more you're done just have a seat sit down son yeah just sit down on the base and uh like you're in t-ball and just watch the show yeah, he's got kid behind just swing at the tee and count and count the ball yeah, yeah i mean he's got great stuff he's got great control um the walks per nine are probably high because he is a reliever and there's mm-hmm. a strategic element uh to it but yeah. you know a babip of 128 tells me that he you know even though it's 18.2 innings of work which i know is limited small sample size yada 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 all of that being said, a 128 BABIP tells me that not only is does he have great command of his stuff, and he has the ability to keep guys uh, from getting a hold of his weaker pitches, um, you know, he's the guy who can go out there and make a significant impact. I think his his war share of that uh, 5.9 that we mentioned before already is uh, is like 0.5 or 0.6 something like that, which is insane. Yeah, for for a guy who's pitched you know very little, uh, in, well, he's in been the season. versatile too, right? Like he's done some multi inning relief. He's come in to get one batter at the end of an inning on occasion. He's been relied on heavily, and that that shows that, that as to why he's been in eleven games and pitched almost twenty innings. Like he's been very relied upon. I wonder what the what their mentality is as ball players, thinking about like thinking about the season and the success that they've had. Is it hard for these guys to put their ego aside and say, like, I'm just going to go out there, do the work that I'm given, do it well, you know, get the win, get this team into the playoffs and, you know, be a team that nobody wants to play the Jays in the playoffs because their bullpen has been so good. You just you can't get anything off them. You can't get any hits. Like how I don't think I don't think it's a problem at all right now because the team is having so much success. These guys just want to be a part of that, and they just want to pitch. I don't think there's anybody who on this team who is salty that they're not getting called upon as a starting pitcher. I think they're just happy that they're part of something that's looking decently special this season. Yeah, I mean, there may not be egos on this team now because they're also young and thirsty for that experience. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I'm sure players who were in the minors last year who are getting good opportunity this year are probably grateful but you know we may end up having an issue in the long term where we have so many guys who are great in the pen and they want starting roles that we we might not be able to hold on to all these guys you know outside of their controlled years which everybody made fun of last year about the team gaining so much so many years of control over pitchers and hitters and different and different players and stuff like that yeah 
But now that we're seeing, you know, the success of all these trades, and make no mistake, this is not Double uh, A's team anymore. This is a Shapiro Atkins special. This is exactly how they build a team. And now that they're, they're seeing success, people damn well better give them credit. I know we do see a lot of credit being uh, given out by, you know, uh, some of the excellent writers out there, the Keegan Mathesons of the world, uh, yeah. have uh, have mentioned it. You can follow him at Keegan Matheson, excellent writer for MLB, uh, friend of the show. Uh, but there's show. a lot of guys out there who are actually uh, starting to write about how you know these sh- shrewd small moves, even though they were trading fan favorites, they're paying off in dividends. Yeah. Hundred percent. No, I've I've been a I've been a supporter of Shapiro and Atkins uh, for a while. I, I think they are up to something, but it's something <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, yeah. They're building, they're building a championship team, and you don't build championship teams by holding on to people just because they're a fan favorite. You build championship teams by acquiring the best talent that you can. So, I'm I'm all for most of the deals that they've made. There's been a couple deals I've questioned. Like the the Sanchez, uh, Cal Stevenson, Joe Biagini trade last year to Houston, but at the same time, going forward in the long term, I think those are the kind of deals that we're going to see lead to the results that we all want, which is a championship. Yeah, it's one step closer. We're just yep. we're that much closer uh, to getting where we want to be, which is we want to be back in the ALCS. It's only been four years since we were there. Uh, you know, we got a little taste of success, and now uh, now we want the whole jug. We want the whole thing. Not the whole damn thing. Any final thoughts before we head into the uh, the rest of this long weekend? No, let's uh, let's just enjoy the season that we have left. Uh, I think we all have to be extremely thankful that we've we've gotten this season this year. Things weren't looking good at the beginning of the year, right? We we had to wait until July to get baseball, uh, and the fact that we're still playing in September definitely exceeded my expectations for what was going to go happen, happen with this COVID shortened season. So I'm just glad that we were, that we're here and I'm going to enjoy these last 20 games. Totally on board with that. I guess it's time to sign off, Justin, as usual, follow us uh, on all major uh, media at BFMD podcast. Check us out on Twitter. Uh, we're on anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, tune in stitcher, we're everywhere, man. We are we are all over the place, and we are on the rise, just like this baseball team. Everybody have a great long weekend. Happy Labor Day. Spelt with a U, L-A-B-O-U-R. And, uh, yeah, have a good one. <laughs>